Due to the graphic nature of this haunted place, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes mentions of car and plane accidents, disturbing imagery, and depictions of suicide. Please use your best judgment to decide if this is an appropriate episode for you to listen to. If you or someone you love is struggling with suicidal thoughts or the impulse to self-harm, please seek help. The United States National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. There's nothing supernatural or inevitable about your pain. Samchai awoke to his plane rattling horribly. His stomach plummeted. He knew turbulence was normal, but that didn't make it any less terrifying. He glanced out his window to see the wheels struggling to find purchase on the tarmac, a Bangkok airport. The wheels bobbed up and down, never quite locking into place. He remembered something a friend once told him, that the most dangerous part of any flight was the first seven seconds after liftoff and the last seven seconds before touchdown. Sam Chai cursed himself for remembering this. Over a crackling speaker, the captain ordered everyone to remain calm. Sam Chai gripped the armrests as the plane hit the runway and bounced back upwards. A woman in traditional Thai attire approached his seat. As the plane wavered between the ground and the air, she told him to remain calm. It was all in hand. In spite of himself, Samchai found her words comforting. She must have been a flight veteran, as she didn't seem at all bothered by the cabin's erratic motion. It was hard to stay scared when she was smiling at you. The plane's wheels finally locked into place, and it slid smoothly on the tarmac. Samchai rocked forward in his seat, comforted by the backwards pull of the brakes. He waited until the plane came to a stop to unbuckle his seatbelt. He could feel scratches under his skin from where the belt had tightened during the fraught landing. He was the last to deplane, wanting to thank the flight attendant who had soothed his nerves. He asked where he could find the woman dressed in traditional garb, but the other flight attendants shot confused looks at each other. They were only allowed to wear the standard uniform, and everyone on the manifest was accounted for. The strange woman was nowhere to be found. Welcome to Haunted Places, a podcast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. You can find all episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. And every Tuesday, make sure to check out Urban Legends. These special episodes of Haunted Places are available exclusively on Spotify. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the Suwanapum Airport, a working transportation hub that was built on an ancient Thai cemetery in an area commonly known as the Cobra Swamp, and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. Yeah. 
If you aren't from Thailand, you may be puzzled by the sea of intricate dollhouse-like structures you often see outside buildings, from private residences to businesses and even government offices. These are spirit houses, the most obvious example of Thailand's close relationship with the P, or ghosts. Most Thai families keep a spirit house of some kind, a colorful place for family members to leave offerings for guardian spirits and ancestors. Offerings can be food, drink, incense, and even dance performances. One of the most popular is a bottle of strawberry Fanta with a straw in it. It is believed that the bright red color of the soda suggests the animal sacrifices that are less popular in the modern world. The Strawberry Fanta is an excellent example of how supernatural beliefs have been integrated into contemporary cosmopolitan Thailand. And nowhere is that mix of ancient spiritualism and bright, tech-heavy modernity more evident than the Suwanapum Airport outside Bangkok. Suwanapum is one of the top 10 busiest airports for international travelers, with two runways accepting up to 64 flights per hour. The passenger terminal building is currently the fourth largest in the world, after Hong Kong, Beijing, and Dubai. The planners of the airport knew they would have to drain the surrounding rural marshland, known as the Nang Uhau, or Cobra Swamp, in order to build Suwanapum, but they were unaware of the site's original use, as an ancient cemetery. Strange events have occurred at the airport since the beginning of its construction. While the best way to avoid such misfortune is to make an offering at your local spirit house, a missed appointment or improper offering can result in an offended spirit. Then you're on your own. Sunan was running late. He'd missed the loud roaring of his alarm clock, and now he was in very serious danger of missing his flight. He kissed his wife and children goodbye and rushed out the door. Two minutes later, he rushed back through the door again, picked up his suitcase, and said one final farewell. He sped off in his car and watched the sights of Bangkok, or Krung Tep to the locals, blur around him. The thin windows weren't enough to keep the waves of heat at bay. Despite the fact that his suitcase was in the seat next to him, Sunan had a growing suspicion that he'd forgotten something important. He ran through the list in his head. Shirts, trousers, undergarments, laptop, chargers, shaving kit. Hmm. He said his farewells. Despite his lateness, the morning had gone according to plan. But somewhere in the recesses of his mind, he knew that something was wrong. A break in routine, even an unintentional one, could upend the natural balance of the world. And he was feeling it now. Something was off, and there was nothing he could do about it while stuck in traffic. A small boy waved at him from the side of the road. Sunan waved back, hoping his mother was somewhere nearby. The highway to the new Suwanapum airport was no place for a child. Just as Sunan was about to look away, the child went rigid, as if electrified. Sunan squinted in concern, studying the boy's face for pain or confusion, but his features were blank, so at ease that one might have thought he was asleep on his feet, except for his eyes. 
They were wide open, pupils rapidly expanding, consuming the whites until they were nothing but black orbs. The boy opened his mouth, letting out a horrible wail. The blare of the city suddenly cut out, only leaving the boy's earth-shattering, impossibly long scream. Sunan's ears rang and buzzed as if a bomb had gone off. He would do anything to make it stop. And then, mercifully, it did. The surrounding sound returned slowly, blaring car horns filling his ears. But he couldn't look away from the child. Black clouds where his eyes had been, a mouth open in ear-splitting agony. Another car leaned on its horn right behind him, finally managing to tear his eyes away from the child. Sunan pressed the accelerator and rolled forward. He took one last look at the boy in his rearview mirror. The child crumbled to ash. He took a shaky breath, feeling his heart racing in his ears. Sunan ran through his checklist again. He checked into his flight early, packed his suitcase, said goodbye. Goodbye. No. He'd forgotten one crucial goodbye. He did not have the time to go back and fix it. Years ago, when Sunan had purchased his home, he'd been told of a young pea that lived in the shadow of his house, a child who had died after a bout of malaria. Sunan had made it his first priority to build a shrine for the spirit, leaving bottles of strawberry Fanta, toys, and snacks for him every morning. He felt as responsible for this boy's care as he would be for his biological children. In his haste to leave, he'd forgotten to place his offering for the boy. He was careless, and he would have to endure the consequences, whatever they might be. The ghosts of bad death weren't forgiving when wronged. Sunan pulled carefully into the parking deck of the Suwanapum airport, sweat plastering his shirt to his skin. He could feel the presence of the ghost of bad death. The air inside the car was heavy, as though the ash of the boy had been sucked through the vents. He glanced around the first level, searching for open spaces. The heaviness wouldn't leave him, crushing down on his shoulders and pushing into his lungs. He drove using rote memory rather than attention. A woman with a baby came out of nowhere. He slammed on the brakes, but it was too late. The pale blanket the baby was bundled in flew through the air, landing in an empty parking space. The woman lay dead in front of him, her long black hair obscuring her pale but blood-stained face. Sunan's heart thundered in his chest. He opened the door slowly, his knees shaking as he stepped out of the car. He stepped around the woman's body as he made his way to the parking space where the blanket had landed. He didn't want to see what he had done, but he had to. He had to know this wasn't some horrible dream. The child and its blanket were gone. He looked back to the front of his car. The woman was gone as well. Sunan shook his head. He had to stay in control to show humility. 
there was no time to find an exorcist. He would have to wait it out, accept his punishment to restore balance. He climbed back into his car. He started the car again and climbed to the next level. As he rolled up the slight incline, he looked in his rearview mirror to make sure no one was tailgating him. The woman was in his back seat. He slammed on the brakes. She was gone in an instant. He searched wildly around the leather seats, but there was no hint of where she had come from or where she might appear next. Sunan felt the car start to roll backwards. He put a little pressure on the accelerator and the car pulled itself forward. The woman was standing in front of the car. Baby clutched to her chest. He hit his brakes again, his suitcase flying over the dashboard. It bounced off the windshield and onto the passenger seat. He could feel his heart in his throat, his breaths coming out in pants. She was following him. Another car slammed into the back of his, pushing his car half an inch up the ramp, his seatbelt jamming. The belt bit into his throat, causing him to sputter and cough. The woman still stood in front of him, defiant, eyes daring him to hit her with his car. He was trapped. It was the only way. The car behind him was laying on its horn. He closed his eyes and hit the accelerator. The car jerked as he drove over something. Sunan looked in his rearview mirror. A broken form lay on the ramp. As he watched, the body put itself back together, dislocated limbs popping back into place, her bent neck nearly breaking as it righted itself. Panicked, Sunan hit the accelerator again, speeding up to the empty top decks. The woman stood and followed. The sound of a baby crying filled Sunan's ears. He pulled into another hairpin turn, part of his car lifting off the ground. The woman started to disappear. Sunan glanced behind him to see her reappearing right behind the bumper. He kept up his speed, swerving around another car, narrowly avoiding hitting it. The woman wouldn't give up. Like the child earlier, her eyes turned black, but there was nothing ashen about her form. She wasn't finished with him. Sunan turned his head back to the front of the car. The baby lay in the middle of the road in front of him. Sunan swung the wheel hard to the left. The cement barrier rushed up to meet him. Sunan hit the brakes over and over again, but the car wouldn't slow. From outside his body, he watched the vehicle slam into the barrier. He saw blood drip down his head, the suitcase ripping open and dribbling strawberry Fanta all over the inside of his car. A small hand tucked itself into his. His adopted son had returned. The world was back in balance. The construction process for Suwanapum Airport was a nightmare. It began in 2002 and was expected to be completed in 2005, but the soft opening was eventually delayed over nine months. Tools disappeared. Contractors heard strange chanting and wailing, and a number of workers reportedly died in workplace accidents. In response, the officials arranged for 99 Buddhist monks to exercise the airport, 
praying for nine weeks straight. The airport opened, but shortly after, a figure known as the Pale Woman began to appear in the parking area and roads beside Suwanapum Airport, clutching a baby to her chest and fixing the drivers with a hard glare before impact. She has been blamed for several traffic accidents in the airport's parking structure. Up next, an unfortunate traveler experiences a permanent layover at Suwanapum Airport. Now back to the story. One couldn't blame the administrators of Suwanapum Airport for going forward with the Transportation Hub's grand opening after the nine-week exorcism. Sinister events and strange happenings plagued the course of construction, but the worst seemed to be over thanks to the help of the 99 monks the airport administrators had called to purge the site. The ceremony ended with a newly hired baggage handler stumbling up to the assembled monks, claiming to be a ghostly cemetery guardian named Grandfather Ming. The monks quickly blessed him with holy water, and the man demanded that a spirit house be built before passing out. The spirit had made contact. He could be appeased. The officials arranged for daily offerings and prayers at spirit houses around the airport's indoor and outdoor areas. But it seems the generous tributes at the small but intricate structures may not have been enough. It had taken Preeta years to save up for her trip to New Zealand. Her best friend had moved nearly 10 years ago from Bangkok to Christchurch. They'd kept in touch through the internet and Prita had saved until she could take a full month off to explore the country with her friend. She'd gotten to the airport several hours early, but her flight was delayed until the morning due to a rainstorm. Her red eye had now become a very early morning flight, and Prita didn't trust herself to sleep in a hotel for a few hours and then get back to the airport in time. It wasn't ideal, but she realized it was probably best to spend the night in the airport. She took out a paperback novel and got halfway through it, eyes leaving the pages every few minutes to watch as people filtered out of the terminal, bound for houses or hotels. The stars peered out softly behind the tall lights of the airport. Preeta eventually gave up her attempts to read as the terminal emptied. Outside of a handful of stray airport clerks, she was alone in a sea of chairs and white tile. The jetway stood empty, extending out into the air over the tarmac. Prita got out of her chair, slinging her backpack over her shoulder as she left her departure gate behind. Soft strands of traditional Thai music floated toward her ears. It was soothing, an echo of her childhood in such a modern place. Prita paid a visit to one of the indoor shrines, pulling a bottle of soda and some rice balls out of her bag. She placed them down and said a small prayer, lighting a stick of incense as she asked for assistance in avoiding any further delays. The sweet smell of smoke reminded her of her mother's house. She closed her eyes, and it almost felt like she was home again. She opened them again, prepared to meet the world of sleek silver and white tile. But she wasn't in the airport anymore. She was outside. The warm heat of a tropical night kissed her skin. 
Scattered rows of pristine white prongs jutted up from the ground, like bony fingers reaching toward the sky. A cemetery. There weren't many graveyards in Thailand, but Prita had been to the royal cemetery. She'd seen the monuments made out of gold, frequently sporting European styles. These were older, much older. From before the French and the English began to argue over who would control Siam, before the Chao Priya River was tamed. The smaller markers had more in common with spirit houses, tiny dwellings with ornate and once colorful carvings marking the home of those buried below. The idea unnerved Prita, who had never understood the comfort other people took in preserving what was already gone. Knowing that she was potentially standing on a dead body made goosebumps rise on her skin. She shifted her weight from foot to foot, looking for a way out. But then she heard the crack of a branch and found herself ducking down beside a grave. She wasn't sure how she knew it, but she knew that detection would mean death. Priya held her breath, listening to the wind moving through the palms. A nightjar bird called out behind her. Its cry for companionship sounded almost unnatural, like radar searching. She held her breath as the footsteps came closer. Prita slunk along the ground for a few feet, her belly growing wet with dew. Still, the footsteps were overtaking her. She braced herself for discovery, squeezing her eyes shut. But when she opened them, she was back in the sterile airport, still on her stomach, looking very foolish. She blinked. There was sweat on her skin from the humid night at the cemetery, but the airport itself was cold, freezing even. She looked up to see a man standing about 10 feet away from her, watching her with unwavering eyes. His shoulders were hunched. There was a blue light around his head, illuminating the cracks and crevices that lined his face. Prita stood up and waved at him self-consciously. He smiled back at her. She shivered. There was something hidden in his smile, a kind of malevolence. She wished the airport had more people in it. She tried to turn away, but he followed her. Prita turned to flee into the women's bathroom and heard his strange voice call her name. The airport was his, he said. She kept walking. He called after her again. The cemetery was his, he said. Prita turned in surprise and lost her balance, her feet stuttering on the floor. Prita heard a rustling with each step as he moved toward her, like he was walking on grass. The nightjar called again. She scrambled backwards, her feet squeaking on the tile, but she wasn't fast enough. The man placed a hand on her. She felt her blood turn to ice. A soft blue light spread over her skin, bringing a horrible numbness with it. She felt her heart seize. Her body started to shake uncontrollably. Prita's eyes darted to the dark stalls but they were all empty. There was no one to help her, no one but the man looming over her, 
watching with a pleasant curiosity as she spasmed in place. She gasped for air. Rita's body collapsed in on itself. She slumped to the ground, lying still in the moonlight until night became day. The soft pinks and oranges of the rising sun picked their way between the silver curves high above her. Rita slowly felt her nerves returning in all their stinging cruelty. Her cheek and torso were flat against the cold white tile, her legs akimbo beneath her. She placed her hands on the floor and pushed. Pain shot through her body, but it was a strange pain. Exhaustion, not injury. She pushed past the pain and pulled her creaking legs upward, but she couldn't straighten her body all the way. Her back remained hunched with her gaze trained on the ground. The frightening old man was gone. Prita looked around the whole terminal, but she could see no trace of him. She wobbled as she tried to make the journey back to her seat, but her limbs were tired, throbbing with pain from her fall. Soreness radiated from her torso. She was more weary than she could ever remember being. She heard a wet, rasping wheeze. But when she looked around, she was still alone. The sound was resonating from her chest. Prita didn't understand what was happening to her body. It was only one fall. She should not be in this much pain. She heard the click-clack of heels against the floor. A woman was heading toward a beauty counter. Perhaps Prita could ask her to call for a doctor. Her body popped and creaked as she ambled over to the counter. Her neck strained as she tried to look up at the woman. As Prita studied her, she could see the woman's expression going from bland politeness to one of confusion. Prita opened her mouth to speak, but no words came out. She tried again, forcing a syllable out in a half whisper. Help! The saleswoman nodded and picked up the phone asking for a doctor to come to Concourse G. A gentleman there needed help. Gentleman? Prita looked down. Her hands had grown wrinkled and gnarled. She took a deep breath. She tried to speak again. This time, she was successful. But the voice didn't belong to her. It was deeper, cracked around the edges. As old as the river. As old as the cemetery. And it wasn't her name that left her mouth. It was Grandfather Ming. Reports of spirit possession are common in the country's northern rural areas, where the confessed victims are most often women. The most common form of this sinister phenomenon is a peepob, or a ravenous spirit, a malevolent entity with an insatiable hunger for both human remains and human avarice. These figures are often closer to the Western concept of demons than ghosts. Departed souls have been known to turn on the caretakers of their spirit houses in order to frighten or possess them to drive them from their homes. Suwanapum Airport's Pu Ming, or Grandfather Ming, is one such ghost. The baggage handlers saved by the Buddhist monks during the airport's opening 
was only the first of several people who claimed to have been possessed by Grandfather Ming or other more malevolent spirits. When questioned by Thai spirit doctors, Ming claims to be the elderly caretaker of the cemetery the airport is built on. He can be exercised with the help of a spirit medium, but he always seems to return. Next, Suwanapum Airport offers a deadly kind of culture shock. Now, back to the story. Ten people have committed suicide at Suwanapum Airport since its opening in 2006. The victims are frequently Western tourists, often white men, who decide to leap from the terminal's many air bridges suspended over the main seating area and concourses. None of these falls are enough to kill them instantly. The administration at the airport has done their best to put prevention tools in place, including glass barriers and greater security. But it's hard to recognize warning signs in a bustling and inherently anonymous environment. In a particularly troubling case, an Irishman was prevented from jumping by Thai authorities, only to escape from security during a requested smoke break. He jumped from an elevated bridge 15 meters above the ground, and was admitted to a nearby hospital before dying shortly after. Westerners who have experienced suicidal ideation while in Suwanapum Airport often report an overwhelming sense of loneliness and alienation, stuck in a limbo between places they may not want to return to. Many enter the airport for their flights, only to refuse to board when the time comes. Almost all high places tend to attract potential jumpers, but Suwanapum's levels generally aren't high enough to cause an immediately fatal fall, which begs the question, why do they jump? John had laughed at the ghost houses. He was tired and cranky, even though international travel should have been old hat for him by now. He flew nearly every week, swooping in to divide up failing companies. He liked to think of himself as a butcher, bringing order, utility to dead things. His ex-wife called him a vulture. John's flight was delayed by two hours, then four, then six. So he put away his James Patterson novel and decided to wander the airport taking in the strange sights while he waited for escape. The ghost houses were quaint, quirky, the kind of thing he would find in his hippie neighbor's garden back home in Beverly Hills. The soda thing was strange. It made him thirsty, so he bought a Coke Zero. He drank the whole thing in one go, but found himself feeling parched again almost immediately. Annoyed that his daughter might have been right about the whole soda isn't hydration thing, he bought a bottle of water, too. He drank it, but his throat was still dry. He was hungry, too. He grabbed some Burger King, then Dairy Queen. When he was still hungry, he even opted for ramen and then Chinese food, a change from the comforting fast food royalty he knew and loved. But he was still not sated. He hovered around the food court, looking for another option, something to fill his screaming stomach. It was then that he noticed the tall man at the other end of the great white room. The man was skinny, his pale skin taut, his wet, 
red mouth pursed into a tiny O. Every now and then, a crimson tongue extended, as if lazily tasting the wind. John squinted, then shook his head. He hated transportation hubs. You never knew who or what you were going to see. He turned in the opposite direction from the eerie figure and headed back toward his departure gate using one of the many elevated walkways. They were almost entirely enclosed by glass, allowing him to see the blue chairs arranged in pleasing squares 15 meters below him. It struck him for a moment how strange airports were, the stasis they created. He was neither in Thailand nor anywhere else, between worlds. In an hour or two, he would board a plane, feel the earth fall away, only to wake up at home. Well, as close as home could be. His new one-bedroom condo was empty and sterile. He hadn't found the time or interest to decorate. Maybe he should grab some Thai art at one of the duty-free shops, show off how worldly he was, prove that he wasn't as close-minded as his ex-wife said he was. His stomach growled again. He found himself stepping close to the glass of the walkway, watching the horizon swallow the last remnants of sunlight. He hadn't realized that night had come. John's eyes rose to his own reflection in the pristine glass. He looked tired, so pale he almost glowed under the bright white lights. The wrinkles in his face were almost comically deep now. He'd been handsome once, hadn't he? Just as he was beginning to give in to self-pity, something else caught his eye in the reflection. He turned. The tall man was watching him from the opposite walkway. The stranger had taken his shirt off, nearly translucent skin clinging to his ribs. He looked like he hadn't eaten in years. Even though there were two walls of glass and a wide, empty chasm between them, John could swear he felt the man's tight, pursed breath in his ear. John turned away from the glass and started walking, looking for the safety of a more open space. The tall man moved in, parallel with him, eyes glued to his. John spit up, darting between passengers, as if he could cut the strange, invisible rope between them with other people. He wanted to be home, even if home didn't really exist anymore, even if no one was waiting for him. Was it just him, or did the tall man seem taller? His blood-red tongue longer, glassy eyes twice as large. John searched for his bearings, for the Burger King logo, a restroom sign, something, anything in English. He reached the end of the walkway, but tall man was closing the distance. John felt his breath catch. His throat screamed for water. The tall man advanced, backing him up against the glass wall, an invisible barrier between him and the seating area below them. There was nowhere to go. No one would understand him if he called for help. No one would care. He felt a strange urge to climb the barrier, but it seemed impossible. Yet he found his arms reaching up, his hands gripping the cold bar, his Oxford dress shoes slipping only slightly as he stepped upwards. He could feel the tall man behind him, his strange mouth 
still small, almost sewn shut, tongue struggling to get free, impossibly long, reaching for him. The glass was too high. He wasn't going to make it. But then his arms stretched, just like the tall man's tongue. His forearms extended before his eyes, raising his straining fingers to find purchase on the cold top of the barrier. His muscles engaged as he gripped and pulled upward, all the aches of middle age forgotten in his quest for freedom. He drew himself up, lifting his legs. He was over. He was safe. He was falling. And then he wasn't. Like many East Asian nations, including China, Tibet, Singapore, and Japan, Thailand has what is loosely referred to as a hungry ghost festival. While offerings to spirits are a constant fixture in Thai culture, the veil between the living and the dead is particularly thin at this time. Imagery of the Prate, a grotesquely tall and extremely skinny spirit with a strange, pin-sized mouth, figures prominently in the celebration of the festival. Prate are souls who have been forced out of the cycle of karmic reincarnation through their selfish or corrupt actions. They're plagued by visions of disease and decay, filled with a desperate hunger for carrion or even feces. Even when they have access to such filth, their tiny mouths prevent them from sating their hunger. But even these monstrous beings are governed by clear spiritual laws. They are capable of being appeased or avoided with the right knowledge. The Thai word Sayasart is often loosely translated as supernatural, but it is a poor mapping of a culturally specific concept onto a Western one. While the notion of the supernatural includes the assumption of a natural reality the phenomena has departed from, Sayasart's root meanings, Saya and Sart, reflect scholarly roots. Sayasart has very little to do with the uncanny. Instead, it describes spirit phenomena as an aspect of ritualistic knowledge governed by studyable laws and principles. In this way, the word adheres more closely to the Western concept of arcana, though arcana is generally accepted to be more strongly tied to witchcraft and alchemy than the spirit world. This gap in perceptions of spirits like the pea can cause a kind of spiritual culture shock for visitors from outside Southeast Asia. The Thai are used to living beside ghosts, making offerings to benevolent spirits in order to get protection from the malevolent ones. The supernatural isn't just found in cemeteries or ancient locations. Spirits are everywhere. As frightening as they may be, there is no escaping them in a land where the veil is so thin, even in an extremely modern airport. Perhaps the best example of this interaction at Suwanapum is the tragic story of a failed landing of an A330 Airbus in 2013. Many were quick to suggest the plane's unexpected veering off the runway was caused by the airport's malevolent spirits. The incident was accompanied by reports of a ghostly woman in traditional Thai clothing who helped evacuate passengers from the cabin after the crash. There are both chilling and heartwarming elements to the story, but the uncertainty is troubling. 
Is that person you cut in the ticketing line a tired commuter or an ancient spirit? Is the old man with his wiry cane waiting for his relatives or standing by to defend his ancient cemetery? What about the dark-haired woman and her swaddled child making their way through the parking garage? Are they weary travelers or malevolent creatures looking to draw unknowing drivers to their doom? Even if you can tell the difference between the living and the dead at Suwanapum Airport, you may not know whether they mean to do good or evil until it's too late. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. And don't forget to come back on Tuesday for our Urban Legends series, available only on Spotify. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite podcast originals, like Haunted Places for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Haunted Places in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Russell Nash. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Rache. With writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Greg Polson. <laughs> <laughs>